Hello, everyone. It's Michael Jaco with Unleashing Intuition Secrets, and I'm joined by special guest Greg Braden. So Greg Braden is a five-time New York Times bestselling author and a scientist and a pioneer in the emerging paradigm, bridging science, social policy, and human potential. His research resulted in the 2003 discovery of intelligent information encoded into the human genome and the 2010 application of fractal time to predict future occurrences of past events. That's fascinating. Greg's work has led to 15 films, 12 award-winning books, now published in over 40 languages, and he was a 2020 nominee for the prestigious Templeton Prize, established to honor outstanding individuals who have devoted their talents to expanding our vision of human purpose and ultimate reality. He has presented his discoveries in over 34 countries on six continents and has been invited to speak at the United Nations, Fortune 500 companies, and the U.S. military. Greg, it's an honor to have you on the show. I've, I've enjoyed your work for decades now. It's absolutely helped transform me. Uh, and so, honor, like I said, honored to have you on. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Michael, I'm, uh, I'm honored to be with you today. What you don't know is I'm a huge fan of your work, and I've followed your work as well. Oh, uh, nice. This is actually this year's the 40th year that I've offered this work in one form or another. I'm, I'm not sure where those years went, and it's a very different world now than uh, the world when, when I began. So I'm excited about this conversation, unscripted. I have no idea where it's going, and I know it's going to go very fast. Yeah, we, we can go a lot of different directions. Uh, we've spoken before, and uh, you know we, we, we share a lot of the same ideals and, uh, you know, ideas and stuff. So it'll be very interesting. Now we had talked earlier about transhumanism, uh, seems to be one of your hot buttons right now. And it is, it's, it's very, it's a very interesting subject. Uh, it has the attention of a lot of people all over the world. What are your views on transhumanism? Well, it's a, it's a big question. You know, it, uh, what I'm finding, Michael, even in, in my own circles of my colleagues is that transhumanism means different things to different people. And the idea itself is actually not a new idea. It's been around since uh, the late 1800s, the, the theory of transhumanism. And it's based upon a way of thinking, Michael, that says that the human body, uh, as we know it, is, is flawed, that we are a flawed life form, that carbon-based life is a flawed form of life. Uh, and that we need something outside of ourselves to remedy those flaws. And it's that fundamental thinking uh, that has led to things like the eugenics movement, uh, 1800s, early 1900s. And, you know, the thinking went around those, those kinds of activities. What has changed is technology is now uh, allowing this, the thinking to be implemented in ways that sounded like science fiction only a few years ago. So this, the idea, I'm just going to back up, the, the idea that we are flawed, when I first began to understand that, my first question, Michael, was what are the flaws? What, what are the flaws that those powers that be are trying to fix? And I was astounded to know that what are considered by many of the transhumanists as flaws are the values that we cherish most deeply as a species the values that we cherish as individuals, as families, as communities, societies, as nations, uh, as a planet. 
So for example, the thinking that human emotion is a flaw that can uh, be weeded out of our decision-making through logic chips, for example, implanted into the human brain, that our memories, the memories that allow us to give meaning and significance to the, the events that we cherish in our lives are considered to be flaws. Hmm. Uh, our willingness to make exceptions based upon empathy, sympathy, and compassion are viewed as flaws. And the thinking is that those experiences can be modified uh, through technology, primarily uh, AI, artificial intelligence installed upon computer chips that are embedded into the brain or under the skin, sensors, uh, and modifying the, the chemistry of the blood through additives that, uh, that change the way we function as humans. So I just wanted to, to be really clear, when we talk about the flaws, these are, are the things that are being viewed as, as flaws, and the movement to remedy these flaws is well underway. Mm. So w when we talk about trans, the transhuman movement, there, there are three primary phases of transhumanism. Now, I'd like to identify those. Before I do, I'm just going to pause. Do you have any thoughts about what, uh, what I just shared, the things that are viewed, the flaws, and... And maybe you're seeing this in your community as well. People are talking about this as well. Yeah, it's, you know, it's uh, it's it's an age-old problem like you're talking about where people think that, you know, the human is is not not that great. Now, I've, I've been inspired by, you know, your work, like I said, and, uh, you know, your your stuff on the heart and uh, how there's neurons in the heart and, and so forth. It's like, a, it's like another brain. Yeah. Uh, I've used that energy to, you know, do amazing things. Uh, send out uh, vibrational fields of, of consciousness from my heart, love energy, and so forth to uh, transform a lot of things. So I, I don't think that we're flawed. I, I think that there's a lot more to discover about about ourselves that can you know expand us. Uh, so to constantly come in and you know try and downgrade us and transhumanize us and uh, add AI and all these different things are trying to do, I think is 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 a it's a bad road. Well, I, I agree 100%. And when we, when we talk about this now, the, the thinking, there, there are two paths uh, that are emerging from the transhuman thinking. One is the path that believes that this is the next step in human evolution. And that is a path that I have very heated debates with uh, my friends. Well, my friends, they're my friends until we have this conversation, and then we have to take a break for a while. Uh, but they're scientists that believe they are steeped in this belief that we are uh, we are victims of our biology and that we are victims of genetics uh, and as flawed victims that we need the technology for the next step in evolution. So that's one one part of this. The other part is the the part that we're seeing probably a little bit more in the, in the mainstream, and that is the political aspect. Uh, of allowing the, the transhumanism to, uh, to mold us into a society that is more readily, more subject to centralized control. Hmm. Uh, and we can talk about both of those, but they're, they're two different things. There is overlap and they're happening at the same time. I think one of the, uh, and the reason this is important to me, when I, I talk to live audiences, especially live audiences of young people, hmm. I am in awe at how our young people are being indoctrinated 
into the false assumptions of obsolete science. They're teaching our young people false science. Oh. Uh, and the young people now have embraced, you know, they heard it in college, so it must be true. So they've embraced these these false ideas, and they are all in on this technological bandwagon of of transhumanism. But here's here's the thing, Michael, and this is what the the best science. I'm I'm a degreed earth scientist, but I've got a very strong background in the in the life sciences, uh, marine biology specifically, uh, mm. math, physics, and computer science, and it, it all works together to to help me stay current with new discoveries that are coming out. I, I consider myself a multidisciplinary scientist. I, I gotta tell you, it is tough to stay on top of all the new the papers that are published on a weekly basis mm. uh, of the new discoveries that are simply not being shared in the mainstream. So I'm gonna share a couple of these, but these are discoveries that you will not see in mainstream textbooks, mainstream classrooms. Uh, you won't see it in mainstream television, cable television, mainstream documentaries. I've had medical professionals show up at our, our conferences and they're saying, they're asking me, why don't we as professionals know about what you're saying? Why isn't this being taught at Stanford Medical School, for example, or in, in Yale Medical School? So, so the, the issue is that we are on the verge of, uh, of only beginning to understand what it means to be human. Hmm. We really don't know what it means to be human and we're operating on a lot of false assumptions. When we begin to give ourselves, our humanness away to the technology, the slippery slope is, is that our natural abilities, Michael, begin to atrophy. You've heard the, the term, it's a very well-known term in, in the biological sciences, use it or lose it. Mm -hmm. So when when we replace, for example, uh, there are chips that are now being engineered to be embedded uh, into the human brain to interface with computers through Bluetooth technology, bypassing neural networks and neural circuits that we've used since, since we were children. Hmm. When we begin to depend upon those computer chips, then the parts of our brain that have done these functions in the past uh, begin to atrophy. Now, where this gets really important, one of the new discoveries, when I, when I was in school back in 1950s, I mean, it blows me away to say that, but when I was in school in the 50s, 60s, uh, early 70s, the thinking was that we are born with a fixed number of, of neurons in the brain. Mm. Uh, you know, it was a big joke. I know I lived through the 60s, man, sex, drugs, rock and roll. And, <laughs> and the, the big joke was, you know, every beer you drink, you're losing brain cells. <laughs> and, you know, we, we used to joke about that when, when yeah. we were in school. Now we know that our brain is producing new brain cells from part of the brain that hasn't been well understood. It's the hypothalamus. Uh, it's producing those cells until we take our last breath of life. However, here's the catch. If those new neurons are not engaged in a meaningful way within approximately two weeks of emerging from the hypothalamus, they will atrophy and die. So if we are not using them, the body says, you know, you must not need them. So, so they will atrophy and die. So part of the, the transhuman movement, when we have chips or, uh, you know, we're inundating our young people with virtual realities. So uh, here, here's another example of study. Uh, Three-year-old kids get up in the morning, have their breakfast, and they put on the 
AI goggles, and they are engaged in AI for much of, of their day. So what's happening is their senses are being inundated with sights, with colors, with motion, and with situations that are so extreme that their own neural networks no longer have to do anything to create or engage because they are observing and being entertained. So whereas our, our brains, we were three years old, you know, we were making up our own make-believe world or we were seeing worlds that other people didn't see or being innovative and inventive. And, uh, and those are stimulating the parts of our brain that, that are so vital. So there now there are new syndromes that are emerging from young people who have been so deeply exposed to virtual uh, and digital environments that there are parts of their brain and their socialization skills, their verbal skill, their, their ability to communicate verbally, their ability to solve problems, their ability to interact in a meaningful way with other humans, their own age and older, to solve problems, more importantly, to remedy conflict. Those are all those skills are atrophying mm. because they are are being replaced. Well, not even being replaced. The technology is a diversion, and those aspects of their psychology are not developing. So what happens is when they're not in that AI world, and another kid their age says something or does something that they don't like, they don't have the skills to deal with it in a meaningful way. So they lash out in anger. Uh, and in hate, and sometimes in physical violence. And that, so there's an uptick of this, uh, the, the dysfunction of young people to be able to socialize in a healthy way. That's right now, it's being directly linked to technology, and we're in the early stages. So where I'm coming from on this is we're at this critical crossroads, because this stuff, this isn't going to drag on for years and years and years. We're ma making the decisions. The tech is there. And there are societies and policies that are embracing and implementing this. Hmm. So we've got to decide as a society how much of our humanness we want to give away to the technology. And my message, I'm not saying it's right, wrong, good or bad. And I think there are ways to use it in healthy ways. But once we give ourselves away to the technology, uh, we can't go back. Hmm. Because once in one generation, we maybe begin embracing this technology uh as uh you know socially or the gamers like to be able to interface with with the games so we we do it uh as a diversion but when enough of society embraces that technology and those parts of our and i'm just talking about the brain there are other parts it's, the same thing is true with the immune system the same thing is true with uh, uh, the developmental system in the body, the ability to repair cells, stem cells, all of that. When the body feels it no longer needs that in one generation, then that ability begins to diminish in the next generation. And pretty soon, our species no longer exhibits that function, that aspect of our humanness, and we have lost that aspect of our humanness. Hmm. So that, you know, realistically, there will always be outliers somewhere but we're talking about the, the bulk of society. And, and so this is the danger, I think, of this transhuman movement unmitigated uh, because through very slick marketing and advertising, I, I'm even drawn to it. I mean, it's some sexy advertising they've got going on. This stuff looks so cool. 
who wouldn't want it? And we're not being told of, of the downside, the fact that we actually lose human abilities. Some we're only beginning to understand, some we haven't even discovered yet. And we're, we're going to lose the ability uh, to have those. Once, and I'll stop here, but once, once we develop those abilities, Michael, my sense is that this technology becomes less attractive and we feel less of an urgency to embrace it because we discover that we are the technology. We are a soft technology. And I'll, I'd like to talk about that more before we finish here, but I'll, I'll just, I'll stop here. And that was just a, a long answer to a short question about why I think this is such a slippery slope. Yeah, I, t I totally agree with you. We're at a crossroads, you know, we're going to choose, you know, which one we go through, whether we're going to be develop ourselves into the quantum consciousness realm or we're, whether we're going into the AI consciousness realm. So you're right. There's, there's a slickness in the AI realm. Uh, there's lots of stuff that's being developed to, to basically take us there and it's been implemented, you know, in, in different ways already, uh, whether we like it or not, you're kind of tricked into some of it, I believe. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I always saw when I was, you know, a Navy SEAL, the neuroplasticity, the way the, way the brain can rewire itself and, and do much faster and, and unbelievable things was, uh, you know, I, I, would, I, would sh I would watch guys shoot at uh, incredible speeds. And I was like, how can we, like, increase that even more so that we could, like, you know, hit three different headshots in less than a second you can you can train yourself to do that but not only that i i learned how to like you know teach guys how to like fight at at unbelievable rates uh and that was going into like a spiritual realm so the more that i push myself into the warrior discipline side the more i started to open this this unbelievable level of consciousness uh spiritual realms of uh, thinking and so forth, it, it really took me to a different place, and I, I didn't. I never stopped. I was like, I, I explored that, went deeper and deeper into that. Now I know a lot of people are going into the AI realm and exploring that, but and I agree with you, they're going to get kind of stuck over there uh, and and go down a path that's that's not as beautiful and, and unbelievable as what I was just describing. I know you've described that in your work, and like I said, it's really uh, you know beneficial. You're you're doing lectures and talks on all of this stuff too, you know, human breakthroughs and so forth. Uh, you've been doing that for a long time. It's it's disturbing to me to see that you and others in this human consciousness field, uh, expansive consciousness field, why hasn't more people moved in that direction? And why do people seem to be attracted to this other direction? What What is the reason for that, do you think? You know, well, I, I think what's going to happen, Michael, I'm going to answer that two ways. Uh, there's conditioning, certainly, that is part of it. A lot of what used to be called the, the New Age community, the New Thought community, was conditioned in a way uh, that led them away from personal development, ironically, mm. uh, looking for something outside of their bodies. And uh, it was... Uh, uh, it happened for, for a couple of different reasons, I think. But there, there's a large segment in, in the genre that would typically be open to these ideas that were more drawn, are still, are, are drawn to the technology. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, is the way it's being marketed. I mean, if you, if you go to a YouTube video and before you see the video, you're watching a commercial and you're a young gamer. Say you're, you know, 16 years old or 22 years old even. 
and they're showing you, hey, look at this chip. You implant it uh, in, into the brain and you are gaming without ever touching your keyboard. You're interfacing, you know, with, with this game uh, with no downside, no side effects or anything being highlighted. And you know how slick the marketing can be. What young person isn't going to look at that and say, sweet, you know, bring it on. And, uh, and that, that is happening a lot. Now, I, there's a place for all the technology. I mean, I, for me as a scientist, I have to say that technology, I never see it as good, bad, right or wrong. Right. It's the thinking underlying how it's used. So, yeah. for example, and this is an example you know probably better than I do, and, and I have seen this, uh, young men and women coming back from the battlefield, Afghanistan, Iraq, losing one or more limbs, some of them all of their limbs, mm -hmm. to have a chip implanted in the brain that communicates with the prosthetic that allows them to hold their children in their arms and to brush their own teeth and comb their own hair and feed their own mouths. My God, what a beautiful, blessed te mm -hmm. technology. So I'm not talking about that as, as a downside. It is the, what I would call the recreational use. Uh, there are proposals coming up very, very soon for this next generation to install these chips into the brain of every newborn. Because to not do so, then this is the, this is the justification. Why would we deny our our newborns the opportunity to competitively uh, uh, achieve in this technological environment if if it's available to them? Why would we ever deny that? That's the thinking that's going on there. So I, I think what we're going to see, Michael, I, and we're already seeing this: two parallel societies are emerging. And it's not like we're geographically separated. It's, it's happening among friends. It's happening at the family dinner table. Parents thinking one way and the kids are thinking another way. Two parallel societies. One of those societies is all in on everything. They're in on all the technology because of their conditioning uh, because of the indoctrination that's happened through in two generations of the educational process and because of a very, very slick marketing. So they're in on chips in the brain, chemicals in the blood, sensors under the skin, uh, total surveillance. You know, if you got nothing to hide, what's the big deal? This is, this is the thinking. Yeah. Uh, making life easy for everyone. And then there's another another parallel society. And I, I just ran into this last week. I, I went to my little, um, so, so I was at my, my co-op uh, here in northern New Mexico, and this is where I, I meet a lot of my community uh, because we're, we're spread out geographically. So, you know, we meet at, at the co-op. And, and I was talking to a woman, and she said, you know, she said, I can't put my finger on what it is, but something doesn't seem right. You know, there's, of course, a lot of stuff going on that she didn't like. She said, but overall, she said, we're moving too fast. Uh, and we are not really taking the time to think about the implications of of what technology means for us and for our children. We need to slow down and go back to basics. We need to go back to the basics of growing our own food, of learning about our own immune system uh, and how the immune system works without relying on things outside of us. We need to begin teaching our children uh, rather than sending them into public schools to be indoctrinated. And that's the other society. So one society is all in on everything. The other one is saying, slow down, we're moving too fast. We need to get back to basics. I think what is happening now um, 
is that we'll do what humans do. We're going to check each other out because that's the way we're wired. And we're going to go down that path for a short period of time. It, it can't last long of these two parallel societies. And I think we're going to look, Michael, we're going to say who's happier, who's healthier, whose lives are more fulfilled. And the answer to that question is going to determine where we go with this technology. And my sense is that there will probably be something in between. Uh, rather than going all in on the tech or rejecting the tech and going back to you know a, a primitive agrarian lifestyle, I think we'll always have the tech and we will mature as a society and, and as a species in terms of the role that we allow that tech to play in our lives. And, and I think it's a healthy thing. However, I believe we're gonna go through some stuff before we get there because the tech is being imposed through policies and laws and uh, social norms as an extreme. So we're, we're moving, the pendulum is moving to this, this extreme uh, before it comes back into some, some kind of a balance. And that extreme will cover uh, the, the three phases of transhumanism that I mentioned, but I, I didn't really, really describe. So can I, can I just take a minute and describe those three phases real quick? Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. the three, three fundamental phases of, of the transhumanism, one of them we're already embracing, and that is uh, what we would call the prosthetics. So technically, contact lenses are a transhuman prosthetic. Mm. Uh, artificial hips, you know, titanium hips or knees or things like that. Uh, that, that is transhumanism uh, at a level where we're not giving our power away to the technology. And I, there's some amazing technology out there. We now have the ability to 3D print organs in the human body Wow. that are failing without taking them from another living human. So mm. routinely, we can 3D print kidneys, we can 3D print the heart, uh, and the largest organ in the human body is the skin. And we can 3D print noses, ears, and tissue to cover burn victims. And again, we're seeing this war typically pushes technology. And this is one of the first places where they began using this technology was replacing uh, skin that was lost through uh, through burns, uh, IED, uh, mm -hmm. you know the fires that come from that. Right. So that that's that's phase one of the transhumanism. Phase two is where it starts to get a little slippery and goes back to the thinking that we talked about early in the program, where the the, the thinking is that the human body is flawed. So that more and more of the human body, including the skin, is replaced by robotics. Mm -hmm. uh, only the brain is left intact. So phase two is replacing the human body with lifelike robotics uh, that are durable and, and will last, you know, uh, essentially forever. Phase three is the utopian goal of the transhumanism, and that is the goal of immortality. And the thinking is, and I, as a scientist, I'm going to say the evidence doesn't support this thinking, but I'm, I'm going to share this is, this is the thinking, is that consciousness can be reduced to a digital imprint, that consciousness is little more than pluses and minuses, ones and zeros, and that we can upload consciousness uh, onto a computer chip, do away with the physical body, including the brain, and then that consciousness can be downloaded into any life form 
or any robotic form uh, for eternity. And in that way, immortality is achieved. And this, this is the goal of some of these, the, the most ardent of the transhumanists. What they don't know is that we already have the ability to do all those things. Uh, every organ of the human body is now documented with the ability to stop the degeneration, to repair what has happened and to heal itself. Longevity enzymes, new stem, a new, a new class of stem cells has just been found with a pristine blueprint that is encased into a spore that is resistant to heat, to ultraviolet radiation, to x-rays, all the things we have in life. We have a pristine copy of the, the DNA blueprint that we had at birth that is available uh, to everyone. Sometimes trauma can awaken that spore, but there are other techniques now and nutrients that can do the same thing and, mm -hmm. and technologies. Yeah. Uh, we're constantly producing new stem cells. We're constantly producing new brain cells. And consciousness uh, is not contained in the human brain. And this is, this is what the cloning technologies are revealing. You know, they, they clone, uh, well, the first clone that we read about in the scientific journals was Dolly the uh, the sheep but they're doing this with uh, with cows as well uh when they clone one of the animals at first it looks successful because it is a genetic copy exact genetic copy of the original but what happens is that the the dna begins to break down uh at about 50 percent of the lifespan of the original uh the original form of life and those animals die prematurely for their species because there's something that they've missed. Uh, yes, they have an exact genetic blueprint, but what they're beginning now to understand, and this is what, the, what our ancestors told us very clearly without the science, is that our consciousness is not contained in the DNA. It's not in the brain that the, the DNA and the brain are antenna that tune us into a field where a non-physical field that science is struggling to, to deal with right now. And in the cloning process, those antenna are damaged to, there's a whole, I, I could lead you through a seven step process and describe why, but the, the DNA is damaged. Mm -hmm. So it is, it is not able to access that source of, of the consciousness for that form of life. This is how they'll figure it out. If they're going to be successful, they'll have to understand that consciousness is not in the DNA and it's not in the, uh, it's not in the in the brain. So these are the three levels of transhumanism, and I think probably, I I would imagine that we will arrive at, at a hybrid, where at level two we replace parts of the body that fail, uh, but we learn to honor the intrinsic systems of the human body and do not feel that we need to replace the body or see the body as flawed that needs to be replaced through robotics. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I think realistically, that is probably where we'll go, but I, I think we're gonna go through a tough road to get there. Yeah. Now, I, I know you're doing some amazing shows with uh, Bruce Lipton and you know epigenetics. Uh, scientists for many, many years thought that the DNA was a blueprint. It couldn't be, you know, manipulated or anything like that. 
but he's proven that consciousness actually, you know, has an impact on uh, the DNA code. So, uh, yeah, consciousness, like you're talking about, is far more pervasive, far more amazing than what uh, some of these uh, transhumanists are, are trying to say it is and, and trying to lock it into this little uh, little box like they did with the DNA. Uh, well, so Michael, you know, the, they are. And, and the, the one piece, I just did a, a talk uh, a few weeks ago, and I had scientists in the audience that never thought about what, what I'm going to share with you. Huh. So... A computer chip in the brain, is it fast? Yes, absolutely, no doubt, hands down, uh, is fast. Is it logical? And is it maybe more logical because it's not going through the ego and the emotion? Absolutely, I agree with that. Here's the thing. Those computer chips can only function within the limits and the parameters of the substance that they are made of. So if it, if it is silica or if it's the way that the information is being uh, moved through the micro circuits, there are physical limitations based upon the elements of that chip that are finite. When we begin talking about human neurons, we do not know the limits of our neurons. We thought we did. Mm. So I remember when, again, when I was in school back in the 60s, 70s, uh, biology books said that the human brain, the, the neural circuits in the human brain topped out, that we could not sustain more than about 40 cycles per second, 40 hertz. And then they started testing Tibetan monks uh, at, uh, at UCLA and Stanford in the, in the scanning machines. They were, they were doing uh, CT scans, looking at brain function and EEGs and using different forms of meditation these monks began to blow the doors right off of those expectations. So we went from 40 hertz to, to 80 cycles per second, 80 hertz. And the scientist said, okay, well, uh, you know, maybe we got it wrong, but this is it. We know we can't possibly sustain any more than, than 80 hertz. And then the Tibetans said, well, you know, if I do a certain kind of meditation and all of a sudden they're, they're looking at, at 100, 100 cycles per second, 100 hertz. So we had to go invent new brain states. Now we've got the gamma brain state. And then the, the monks said, well, you know, if, if we do another kind of meditation, we can exceed that. And they were now looking at 180 and 200 cycles per second. And we're looking at hyper gamma. And, and it goes on both ends. They were looking at epsilon brain states that are very slow and uh, the, the hyper gamma brain states and above. We don't know the top end of our neurons. So, so I'm going to just introduce another concept here, and this is fundamental in, in all of the, the work that I'm doing and the, the programs that I'm doing. You know, we're conditioned to think of ourselves uh, as, uh, as soft uh, uh, biological entities, but we're rarely conditioned to think of ourselves as technology. And what the evidence strongly suggests, Michael, is that we are a highly advanced, technologically sophisticated, soft technology. Mm. We're not made of chips and wires and artificial intelligence. We are neurons and cell membranes and ion potentials, all of which that we can adjust on demand through our most ancient and cherished traditions of thought, feeling, emotion, belief, breath, and focus. Mm -hmm. 
and this is what Bruce Lipton is talking about. These are, these are factors that are called epigenetic factors. And the epigenetics says that we can change our biology on the fly, on demand. It's, it's not set in stone. And it's interesting that the techniques to do that are, are deeply embedded into some of our most ancient and cherished uh, and indigenous traditions. Obviously, they didn't have the science, but they knew, they knew this stuff worked. So this is much of my adult life has been spending time in the Andes of Southern Peru and in Egypt and with the Bedouin and the Tibetans mm -hmm. and the monks and the nuns and uh, the yogis and the sadhus in India and Nepal and all through the American desert Southwest and mm -hmm. the aboriginals in Australia and much more. Because I, I want to understand what they know that we've forgotten. Mm -hmm. And it's not that that's the way, but how can that way be blended and married into the best science of the modern world uh, to give us the evolutionary edge so that we triumph over this time in history rather than succumb to the fear uh, of, that we're, we're all being inundated with. And, uh, and I think this is where it gets so, so interesting. So, so I'm just going to do this really quick. Every cell in the human body, we're taught there are about 50 trillion cells approximately in the human body. Every one of those cells has an electrical potential, about small, point zero, zero point, uh, let's say it's 0 0.7 volts per cell, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you do the math, 50 trillion cells times uh, uh, 0 0.7 volts, and we got a lot of potential in our bodies. But it doesn't stop there because every cell functions as a transistor, every cell functions as a mm -hmm. resistor, mm -hmm. every cell functions as a capacitor, it stores and releases information, uh, or, or energy. Every cell in our body emits photons into the environment that are picked up by other forms of life. And every cell in our body receives photons. We're photon generators and photon receivers. That's light. Light is information. So we are constantly receiving and transmitting information based upon the light coming from our cells. The question is, do we know what we're saying? And there's a whole conversation about that, but it doesn't stop there. Every cell in the body uh, stores information just like we store information on, on a chip. And we retrieve information just the way we re retrieve information on a chip. We literally are a soft technology that with the ability to self-replicate what works. We can also self-replicate what doesn't work in, in terms of disease. We have the ability to heal on demand. Uh, to upgrade our program on demand through the, the firmware of our biology and the software of our consciousness. Uh, and all of this suggests that we are, in fact, uh, a very advanced, soft technology uh, that is allowing consciousness to explore what it means to be alive in this world. And, when, and, and so this is where it's so beautiful. All of the external technology that we've ever built. And I, I worked for many years in the defense industry. I was uh, a DOD secret clearance, yellow badge during the Cold War. Mm. And I say that because I had access to some of the most advanced technology that the world has ever seen. And, and why I was so in awe, Michael, is because to this day, I have yet to see any technology built outside of us that does not mimic what we already do in ourselves, except we do it better. So in a very real sense, we may be building outside of ourselves the technology 
trying to remind ourselves of who we are in here because mm -hmm. we so long for that wholeness and that completeness. And as we begin to embrace the deep truth of who we are, I think that external technology still be there, but I think it'll take on less uh, of an importance, less of a significance, and we will feel less of an urgency to embrace that into our bodies. Hmm. So this is, it's a, a very different way of looking at things. I understand that. And it's a big idea to wrap our minds around. I think that's exactly what's happening in our world today. And, and then we get into the whole ET aspect of, <laughs> of civilizations yeah. who very possibly were at the same crossroad that we are right now. Mm. And they chose the technology and they lost yep. so much of their biology that they are now very interested in us because they want it back. They want yep. what we have. And there are warnings, and you see this in a lot of the studies that are happening now from the abductees. A, a, friend, a good friend of mine before she passed uh, worked with high-level abductees in all over the world in, mm. uh, in positions of power that would surprise a lot of people. Uh, and when she was working with those abductees, many of them got the message that the, 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 the ETs, if you want to call them that, uh, are warning us not to make the same mistake that they made, not to go down this technological path uh, and then some of them were not ETs. They are us from the future coming back, warning humankind right now not to go down this technological path uh, with both feet and the fire mm. the way that they had because it didn't work out very well for them. So there's so many different facets that come into this transhuman conversation. And I, I just wanted to lay a few of them out so we could talk about them uh, through the program today. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Now you mentioned uh, before the the gamma uh, brainwave ac activity. So I, I was actually, and I was teaching other other fighters how to go into that level of consciousness. So when we uh, would do, we we did what's called what's called a multi fight, where we'd have a room full of guys come at you, and you would fight the whole room. And uh, there's techniques you can use to uh, actually accomplish that, but you had to go into this this the state of consciousness to do it. Otherwise you'd be overwhelmed right away. So we, we, we tell guys to focus on the alpha brainwave state, breathe, move, and so forth. And then I started to see myself and other guys when they would kind of like flip into this different state of consciousness, which I later learned was a gamma uh, state of consciousness where you're taking the beta and the alpha brainwave activity and uh, combining it and going to a different state of consciousness. So when you were talking all about that, that sounds so much sexier to me than all that transhumanism stuff where you do an AI. Why wouldn't people want to go into that state of consciousness? Well, when you describe it, I think people will. And, uh, but that's, that's the, the greatest thing. I know you're doing an amazing job. You're doing an amazing job right now, you know, describing this. It's, I, I just love your information. Always have, uh, you take uh -huh. science and take it to the super, super amazing spiritual sexy level if you want to call it that but uh you know it's 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 amazing that's there for people it's it baffles me how anyone would want to go in that different direction now i i love technology i remember you know in, in the seal teams where we would get that technology in fact the uh, the gaming actually came from when i was at seal team six 
and we wanted to know we wanted a video that would we're doing aircraft takedowns we wanted a video that would go down and show us everything and we would like you know be able to mimic all of these different things and from that some of those guys left and started the gaming stuff so you know all of this stuff is very fun but it's all about like you're talking about developing this this body this amazing body that we have in this consciousness it, it is michael you know one of the the beautiful things uh that i learned uh, i spent i well before they closed the borders to china i was blessed and just really lucky to be able mm. to lead groups uh into mm. these journeys through uh through nepal and then up into the highlands of central china the tibetan plateau yes. 12 12 monasteries two nunneries over 26 days and uh, and so we we spent time and we were right there with with the monks and the nuns as well. Uh, and one of the things that that really astounded me uh, was that they used nothing external to achieve these extraordinarily advanced brain states. So there's a thinking among a lot of people that you've got to have plant medicine or you've got to have you know, so depending on where you are in the in the desert southwest or looking at mescaline and psilocybin or, you know, ayahuasca in Costa Rica or, or wherever it is. Mm -hmm. And and there are a relatively small number of, of people that will do that to achieve an altered state. The Tibetans show us that we don't need that and that actually we can become impaired by using the chemicals. What the studies are showing, for example, ayahuasca, people that are using a lot of ayahuasca. I have friends that told me, you know, it, it's absolutely harmless. And I began reading the studies. If you do it once or twice, you know, it's no big deal. But people who habitually use it, they find that the, they begin to thicken the visual cortex of the brain and that they begin to see uh, the world very differently. So if you are a systems computer designer working at Microsoft during the week and on the weekends you're you're doing plant medicine habitually uh, you know on, on a regular basis you may begin to impair your ability to think uh, in the ways that support your chosen profession mm -hmm. and to be able to to create those programs you know if you're a shaman living in the rainforest every day it's probably no big deal if your visual cortex is is changing but the, the point is that we don't need it does this stuff work it can is it necessary absolutely not and it limits us whereas when we achieve these altered states under our own power of breath and focus uh and i'll talk about some of those techniques in, in a moment here mm -hmm. what happens is it opens the door to sensual gateways uh to understand ourselves and our relationship to the world if an individual does not have the emotional maturity or they have experienced trauma in their lives, which most of us have, that's trauma is, is a part of all of our lives. It means different things to different people. Uh, but if they've not learned how to reconcile that trauma in a healthy way and they use a chemical to thrust them into the gateway where they have to face that trauma, they're stuck in what's called a bad trip until the chemical wears off, until they metabolize out of their bodies. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Tibetans, when they are in those spaces, if they begin to have an experience that they don't know how to deal with, 
what they'll do is they'll open their eyes, take a breath, get up and walk away. And, and that's it uh, until they're ready to go back in. So I'm not saying it's right, wrong, good or bad, but this is an awareness. I think people need to understand that we don't need the external things. They're available to us. And for some, I have known people who have done plant medicine and had amazingly good experiences uh, and healings. Uh, I, I had a, a female friend of mine uh, in Costa Rica. She and her husband were uh, unable to conceive a child. And both of them were healthy, nothing wrong with either one of them that, you know, been to fertility doctors and all that. In a plant medicine experience, a being came to her and actually in, not physically, but in the experience, took her heart out of her body and, and her heart was covered with black soot uh, from guilt and shame of past traumatic experiences. And the being cleaned her heart and it was beautiful and shiny and put it back into her body and did the same with her womb. And the next month they, they conceived and she, they had baby right, right off for the first time. And I, I don't know where they are now, but I know they had that one. And you know, you can't prove that scientifically. It's anecdotal, yeah. but, but there are so many of those kinds of experiences. So I'm not slamming the use of any of these. I'm saying everything has its place but we're conditioned to feel that we need something outside of us when in fact, everything that we're using outside of us mimics what we already do. The, the DMT, for example, that's coming activated through that plant medicine is DMT that we can create within our own bodies. Uh, and we typically do twice in our lives at a large extent when we're born, high levels of DMT in the brain and, and when we die and pass into the next world, the DMT levels increase. And there are other there are techniques to increase those uh, on demand without using any, any of those chemicals. Hmm. So it's it's a different understanding. But the th there's another aspect uh, of the human brain. There are uh, 2004 Italian scientists discovered a class of neurons called mirror neurons. Mm -hmm. Now I'm uh, I've been a martial artist since I was a kid. Uh, I'm also a musician, and both of these uh, the mirror neurons. Uh, come into play because what the mirror neurons do is they're, they're specialized neurons in the brain. They will fire under two circumstances. One, they'll fire when we're having experience. So if I'm playing the guitar or if I'm uh, on the mat, uh, you know, with a sword or, you know, whatever it is, they're firing and no surprise there, but they will fire when we witness someone else having the experience, even though it's not our experience. So that is why we can sit on a couch on a Sunday afternoon and watch a soccer game and you're not moving, but your heart's racing. You might be perspiring. You might be animated, but you're not on that field. Here's the thing. Those neurons don't know the difference between watching the experience and having the experience. Mm. So when it comes to training for combat, for martial arts, for hand-to-hand, -hand, for reflexes, when it comes to playing complex pieces of music, watching someone else do exactly what you're trying to do in the state that allows those mirror neurons to be optimum. And that state is called coherence. When we can create coherence between our heart and our brain, and then we allow those neurons to do what they're doing. This is what we do in, in our, some of our live courses. We, we like to offer this and it's a lot of fun, but all of a sudden we, we begin to have skills and we feel like, 
wow, you know, we're superhumans, but we're really not. It's just we are embracing uh, the full extent of what it means to be human. Yeah. And these are among the neurons that are threatened. If we've got AI goggles on all the time, and those AI goggles are always being entertained through the digital information, then there's no need for those neurons necessarily to have the same, or they, or just the opposite, they get so overtaxed that they become desensitized. It's almost meaningless. So all of this opens the door to the conversation and this transhuman movement. And I think it's important because there are policies that are being, they're on the table right now. They're being proposed uh, in Congress. The United Nations is proposing some of these policies. Uh, and people that don't know any better are vulnerable to embracing these policies uh, with the, the ultimate effect of actually losing their own autonomy and their own sovereignty because we begin to lose the power that comes with being pure human and uh, and i think it's a it's a message worth sharing yeah and uh you know you we we've, we've talked about uh native american uh you know spirituality i've done vision quest i've done uh sweat lodges and and worked with a lot of the native american cultures on you know the spirituality stuff and it's definitely took me to a, an unbelievable level and once i went into those levels of consciousness then everything else that I was doing, whether it was the fighting skills, the shooting skills, um, my focus on whatever it was in life, really, uh, it went to a different level. So I know you're you're constantly um, moving in those circles. What what have you found as far as that's concerned? Uh, I know they're definitely not moving into the transhumanism uh, uh, level. What 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 you you mentioned a little bit of that? You know, working with Tibetans, I love that. Uh, and, and you live in an area that's unbelievably, uh, phenomenal, uh, in New Mexico. So what have you learned from, uh, the native American skills that maybe you could translate into this scientific, uh, event that we're kind of going into? I'll say a couple of things. First, uh, I, I am, I'm in a rural area in Northern New Mexico, mm -hmm. uh, between Albuquerque, New Mexico and the Colorado border, there are 11 individual uh, indigenous communities are called Pueblos that share a common heritage, but each one has its own unique, distinctive characteristics. Mm -hmm. As we go up into the Four Corners area, you've got uh, Apache, Navajo, uh, uh, some Hopi over the border with uh, Arizona. And the interesting thing is that all of those communities, unfortunately and sadly, have been persecuted so much over the years that they're reluctant to share publicly. Yeah much about their spiritual their spirituality mm -hmm. um their traditions i mean you know you we have friends that will talk about it one-on-one -on -one. but if you walk onto a pueblo and say hey you know could i could i talk to your shaman you know or which is a term they don't use or your healer yeah. what what they'll typically say is you know we're modern people we don't do that anymore <laughs> because it's it's easier for them mm -hmm. to not engage in that conversation so right. So outwardly, uh, I, I hear and see that a lot. Uh, on the other side of that, what I'm seeing is a move, Michael, to go even deeper into the traditions that, uh, that are part of their heritage. Mm -hmm. 
nice. to go even deeper into self-sufficiency, growing mm. your own food. You know, we've gone through a couple of generations. Um, I'm going to speak about America specifically because this is where, where I live, but I'm seeing this on a global basis. We've gone through a couple of generations where young people have been steered away from the traditions that have sustained their families in the past. There's, they're steered away from an agricultural lifestyle. Who wants, who wants to grow up and be a farmer? You know, who wants to grow up and drive a tractor? Who wants to grow up and, you know, they've been steered into urban areas, uh, science, technology, which has helped them to be competitive. I'm not saying that's bad, but, but what has happened is a lot of those skills are being, have been lost. And uh, outside the Pueblos, even just community as I see it, uh, a lot of young people, when they grew up in those rural communities, they couldn't wait to get out and get into the big cities. Their parents now are dying and leaving the farm to the kids. And the kids say, I don't want to farm. So they're selling it cheap to whoever will come along and buy it. And, and so I'm, I'm using that to contrast what I've seen happen, especially since COVID, mm -hmm. is there's a shift and a deeper appreciation for living close to the land, yep. for being able to grow your own food, being a little self-sufficient in terms of how you educate your kids. I think the estimates are now 40% of uh, young people uh, uh, through K-12 are homeschooled in northern New Mexico now. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's a big a big shift. There's a lot of reasons for that. Some of them are political, some are financial, but the, mm -hmm. the bottom line is uh, a lot of kids are not in public schools. Mm. So so I'm seeing a, a movement back toward embracing more of the traditional ways of living because it's now seen as necessity and it's beginning to become cool. Or young people don't say cool, they say sweet. It's becoming sweet, yep. you know, to be able to uh, to take care of yourself, grow your own chickens, you know, have your own. There's a lot of cattle farming in, uh, uh, and in the good weather, they uh, they grow, uh, you know, wheat, uh, alfalfa, not so much corn because corn takes a lot of water, but uh, a lot of wheat and alfalfa up in in this part of the world. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, and it's you know, I I and it's it's a natural thing. I think that pendulum is is swinging mm -hmm. back. On yeah. the other hand, corporations are trying to buy up that farmland. Yep. And the big corporate farms are are saying, you know, if you sell us your family farm, you are supporting food security for the nation. So they make it sound pretty cool. You know, who doesn't want food security? But then you look at how they achieve that food security, and it's through corporate farms using GMO seeds and pesticides that we're trying to get away from. Uh, and it's it's security at what cost? What what price are we being asked to pay for that food security? Mm -hmm. So these are all things that's up for everybody right now. Yeah. And uh, but the but the good news is young people I think are seeing more value in their some of them in the native traditions, for example, they left, they went to white man's schools, learned white man's law and white man's science. And and this is their language. This isn't uh, this is the language they use to tell me. Mm -hmm. They say, we go to the white man's school. Now we come back and we use the law that we learned to benefit our people, mm -hmm. to get our land back and to get our rights back. We use the science to, uh, to help improve life without compromising our traditions. 
and uh and we're seeing that as well mm -hmm. yeah i uh i was you know doing some native american traditions um helping them out and i was i was quite shocked because i'd heard stories of you know fbi and black helicopters and black suvs they they told me this stuff i'm like yeah whatever guys well i was helping them out uh on on one of their ceremonies and sure enough black helicopters uh black suvs showing up and watching everything going on so they've they've tr well obviously they've tried to suppress this because it's very powerful it's very powerful and like we're talking about they want the transhumanism going a different way they want to control they'll be able to control everything every aspect so yeah i i see the movement like you're talking about now when i went into some of those consciousness states i was able to pull and push weather and i started very simply and and then progress to uh very very uh, advanced levels with it so that's another amazing thing you can do with consciousness uh many people do uh lots of other things with their consciousness but the native americans can we've always heard of the, yeah. the indian rain dance that's just a ceremony for us white folks uh to, to like but all the consciousness stuff is going on behind the scenes so i i've learned all that stuff and i I, it saddens me to look at Texas because I know that they're doing weather, weather modification down there. Uh, but there is a way consciousness wise to overcome that. And I've, I've kind of been talking about that on my show. I want some people in Texas to start doing some work down there. Uh, I'm, I can't do it all. You guys need to w wake up and, and do some of this work. So, uh, I, I, I know that people have this ability. We're trying to wake people up to this, these abilities and, uh, what what do you think about uh, that as well? Well, it, it goes back to something, the foundation we laid early in this conversation, all the technology that we're building outside of our bodies. Mm -hmm. I've yet to see anything that doesn't mimic what we already do. Yeah. Now, it doesn't, or that we have the ability to do. I'm not saying that everyone does it consciously. Mm -hmm. The weather modification, when I was uh, working in the Cold War years, uh, we saw this it was using scalar, scalar wave technology, and it was actually part of the SALT II treaty when uh, they were having problems getting the former Soviet Union and, and the former United States, because neither country is the same country anymore. Yeah, when they were having problems getting uh, former Soviet Union to sign off, it looked like there was a radar installation that was a problem. Well, the radar was was one of the scalar wave trans transmitters. It wasn't just a conventional radar. We do the same thing. We have the ability to do that with with ourselves. So what I've found that you asked a couple of, of different questions. I have not studied and experienced every indigenous tradition on the planet. Every indigenous tradition that I have studied, there's a common theme that runs through all of them, Michael. And that common theme is when they begin to do the things that we on the outside think are extraordinary or mystical, like healing their bodies or healing the bodies of their loved ones or creating precipitation where there hasn't been any in the middle of a drought, uh, as different as those things are, they all begin with the same common step. Mm -hmm. And that step uh, is to focus in the, the heart. And this isn't just a metaphor. In 1991, the discovery was made and then it was published in uh, 1994 uh, through, it was Oxford University that began, that first published the articles. 
uh, that there is a neural network in the human heart that had never been recognized before 1991. So they discovered about 40,000 specialized cells in the human heart. They're called sensory neurites. And they form a complex neural network smaller than the brain, but it, it works in a very similar way. So now we're talking about in our bodies, we've got a neural network in the heart, a neural network in the brain, and they work very, they function in a similar way, but they work very differently. They do different things. So the brain is a polarity organ, and we all know that. Got left brain, light, right brain. You try to solve problems, including healing of your body. If you try to do that through the brain and through thinking, what will always happen is the brain does what it's designed to do. It will approach that healing or that drought or whatever it is in polarity. And in polarity, you've always got a good and a bad and a right and a wrong and a success and a failure and a worthy and a not worthy and all those polarities. But the heart is not a polarity organ. No. And this is one of the reasons why they uh, have always begun in the heart, but it's, it goes further than that. And this is what was so fascinating to me. They go to the heart and then allow the, the neural network in the heart and the neural network in the brain to become one system. Two organs, two neural networks. We are the only form of life that we know of that can consciously, at will, on demand, take these two organs and harmonize them into a single potent system. We call it heart-brain coherence. Mm -hmm. Once we do that, we move out of that polarity, and it's from that place of coherence. It's, it's once you achieve that coherence, now it, it's like you've got door number one, door number two, door number three, door number four. What will you do with that coherence? With that coherence, you can awaken uh, an enhanced immune response. And, you know, who doesn't want that in, in this day and age? You can, you can awaken longevity enzymes. Everyone has them. And we can awaken them through heart-brain coherence. You, you can create tremendous resilience to high levels of stress. And that, that it works in a battlefield condition. It works in, um, in any kind of a competitive uh, condition. It works in a lockdown situation for a global pandemic. We all need, uh, we're being taxed, we need resilience. Uh, all of those things come from heart-brain coherence passively. So just by creating the coherence, you've got greater heart rate variability, HRV, that's going to give you more resilience. You've got uh, an enhanced immune response, super immune response. You've got uh, super cognition, super memory, super recall. This is Jason Bourne stuff. And this yep. is a lot of what we do in our programs. Now, mm -hmm. those are passive. Actively, once you go into that state, you can actively awaken deep states of recall of conscious recall, deep states of using mirror neurons to, to what we call super learning. So if you remember the movie, The Matrix, when Neo was, was plugged in at the base of the skull into a computer program, and he very famously looks at the camera and he says, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> it's my favorite line in the whole movie. I do, yeah. Well, it was fed, it was fed through a, a, a hard cable into his neural network. Mm -hmm. We have the ability awake from a state of coherence, awakening those mirror neurons to learn complex pieces of music or mm -hmm. complex movements. I was a gymnast when I was in school. I didn't, I didn't know this consciously, but I did it when I was in school. 
I was a gymnast learning gymnastic uh, moves, martial artists, martial arts moves. Mm-hmm. And now as an, an adult, now that I know why it works, I can do, I can do it more of it and, and more consciously. Mm. So this is where uh, super cognition, super memory, super recall, uh, super reflexes, super learning begin in a state of uh, coherence. And this is what I see the indigenous people do, mm-hmm. including weather modification. So I, I, one of my early books, 2005, I wrote uh, a story about being invited by a friend of mine from one of the, uh, the communities, native communities here in a time of drought. It was ni- 1995, tremendous drought here in the, in the Southwest, kind of like we're having now. Yeah. And he, he invited me to, to go pray rain and I went and I was expecting to see some dancing, some chanting, some, you yeah. know, very cool stuff. And I, I saw none of that. He, he took his shoes off. He stepped with his naked feet into a, a, a medicine wheel that had been there, mm-hmm. that his ancestors had placed there. Wow. And with his hands in a prayer mudra, he closed his eyes. He turned his back to me. And a couple, I mean, just a few seconds later, he looked at me and says, I'm hungry. You want to go get a bite to eat? And I said, well, yeah, sure. I said, but I thought you were going to pray for rain. And, and this is one of the most important lessons that he taught me. He said, no. He said, if I prayed for rain, rain could never happen because the moment I ask for it to occur, I've just told spirit that it doesn't exist. When you ask for something to happen, what you're saying is it's not here now. And I said, well, what did you just do? What did I just see? And this is so amazing. He, he said, when I closed my eyes, I felt the feeling of what it feels like to have my naked feet in the mud of my Pueblo village because there's been so much rain. And I smelled the smell of what the water, what the rain smells like rolling off of the earthen walls of our Pueblo village. So he incorporated multiple senses as if it were already happening rather than asking for it to occur from a place uh, of powerlessness where it it doesn't exist. We went to Taos, New Mexico. We had a bite to eat. By the time I got back to my land that afternoon, big black clouds were coming over and we had rain. It rained so much that night. It rained all night. It rained the next morning. It rained the afternoon. I called him on the phone and I said, man, uh, this is a mess. Roads are washed out. Cattle are stranded. Crops are flooded. You know, what in the world is going on? And, And he was silent. He said, well, that was the part that the ancestors could never figure out. He said they could, they could, get it to rain, but they didn't know how to tell it how much to rain. <laughs> so it was an example of my experiences myself and, and the weather map. It was so, I watched the, the weather map the night that this happened and you could see the jet stream coming across, it was coming across uh, uh, Utah and Colorado. And when it got to the Denver, Colorado Springs, it dipped down to Northern New Mexico and made a U-turn and went right back. Just wow. like, just like that. And the weatherman, he sat back and he looked at it and he said, huh, that's all he said. He goes, huh, like, I've, never, I've never seen that. So, you know, we cannot prove these things scientifically mm-hmm. now. We probably could if, if somebody took the time to do it. But anecdotally, we see this time and time and time again. And what it says, Michael, is we're, we're part of the world we live in, not separate from. And if we are part, it makes tremendous sense that if we want something to occur, we would feel the feeling 
as if it has happened to give the field something to work with, which is very different than asking the field to produce something that doesn't exist in that moment. Feeling the feeling so that the field can mirror the field that underlies all existence so that it can mirror what it is that we're hoping to experience. It was true with rain uh, in northern New Mexico. It's true in martial arts. It's true in combat. Uh, it's true as a musician. It's true in our relationships. It's true when it comes to the health and healing of our bodies. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit, Michael, it's a very, very different way to think. Man, I, nobody taught me to think this when I grew up in Missouri in the 1950s. No. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. I I learned uh, Apache um, remote viewing, uh, and I used that in combat for quite some time. And what would happen with me is I would get like this gut feeling, kind of like the second brain. I would like I had this consciousness field out. So like if if something's coming, you know, I want to know. So I would get that tension in the gut. I'm like, okay, what is it? And then I would go to uh, like you're talking about the coherence, the heart brain coherence. And I would, I would dial it in, get in that meditative state. And then it's okay. What is it? And I would see up to a week in advance attacks that were coming. And I would tell my team, this is what's coming. This is how it's going to be. This is the time and everything that will happen. Just like I, you know, I described. You just, so, you just answered my question. I was going to ask if you, I knew, uh, during the uh, Gulf war in 1990, they were using remote viewing. So nice. I toured with Russell Targ from Stanford Research, who nice. developed some, yeah, some of those techniques, SRI. Mm -hmm. One of the questions I was going to ask you is whether or not the remote viewing was geographically dispersed in present time, which you're telling me it was, but whether or not the remote viewing included uh, over the event horizon into the future. So yeah. that's very cool. That mm -hmm. uh, so let me. How, did you notice any? May I ask you a question? Sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you notice any? Um, <clears throat> any limitations in the the time your of uh, the event horizon into the future because there's so many events that can bifurcate the timeline and and change that were you were you taught how to navigate those bifurcations so that you could see if those were going to happen um no i i pretty much self self taught <laughs> you know i learned the the basics you know look down the trail this is what you see and then i just took that information and just went, went with it. But I, at, at first it was, it was real time where I would look up the road before we went up the road. And if there was anything that was unsafe, like a IED or, you know, ambush or something, I would hold my team up. And then unfortunately somebody else would get that brunt of that attack. Then eventually it, it started to expand, uh, to, uh, you know, to the point where I could look days. And then, a, like I said, a week in advance. Wow. So what I, what I do now, it's like, I saw, uh, you know, months and months in advance um what was coming for uh the last election and i saw a lot of detail but the analytical mind sometimes comes in and and tries to determine you know what what you're seeing uh so i got a little bit wrong not completely but uh i interpreted interpreted the the event differently you know i saw um yeah. a military uh fencing and uh joe biden was there but i thought joe biden must be under guard or something because there's no way because i knew that someone else was winning so that's kind of what i saw on that that one uh but there's a lot of times i'll look at stuff uh and and not know the date but see it coming 
And then when it comes, it comes like when the, uh, like several months out before, uh, the Canadians had their, their convoy. I didn't know what that was. I saw dancing in the street in March and then, you know, those dates roll up and then you see the Canadians dancing in the street. And I was like, but I saw on the other end of that, another dark period. So, uh, you know, it, it comes sometimes in a lot of detail, uh, and I get a lot of information, but it's some of it sometimes is because we, ha our consciousness as a whole has to advance and I can't give too much information out. It's been withheld from me. And I know why that is because it's, there's a learning process that's coming. Yeah. Well, this is, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate mm -hmm. it. And uh, I'd love to talk in maybe a uh, part two at some point, have, have a deeper conversation. But Absolutely. I, mm -hmm. I know one of the, the issues uh, that I've had with uh, even some of my colleagues who are doing the remote viewing, mm -hmm. it really came up around 2012, for example, but it's the right. same thing is happening right. now. Yep. They would look, look at 2012, couldn't see anything beyond. They said, well, it's the end of the world. Yep. And they're saying the same thing now for, for 2030. Yeah. And what the physics says is that there are, you know, along that if nothing changed from the point where they are until the point they're looking at, they're right on. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, every choice that we make individually and collectively creates those bifurcations. Some of them are minuscule and some of right. them are, yeah. are massive. And if we're not navigating the bifurcations, then we might miss, you know, what's happening. And, and this is where the coherence is really invaluable, I think, because interpreting through the heart, it allows uh, an objectivity so that we're, because the mind always wants to make sense of, of what we're seeing. Yep. My, my native friends don't talk about it in quite the same way, but mm -hmm. they do, it is part of something that they're, that they're taught, you know, in, uh, in the Kiva communities, mm. They have kivas for males when they come of age and kivas for females. Hmm. And for uh, both, they are educated in those kivas for, uh, for 28 days, a, a full wow. lunar cycle. And for the women, they discover their bodies, they discover their relationship uh, to their community and to themselves and to giving birth. And for men, it's fascinating because they discover and I, I haven't been, I'm not allowed to be part of it. I've just been, uh, my friends have shared it. Mm -hmm. They discover their relationship to the earth, their relationship to lunar cycles in terms of hunting, uh, and uh, their relationship to all life, which is a deeply mm -hmm. intuitive experience uh, that they depend upon to provide food for their families. So you know, tracking is important and things like that, but there is a, a literally a, a heart based relationship uh, that is an intuitive part of that, that they learn in, uh, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, if you go into a Kiva for, a, uh, you know, a day, 24 hours learning about this, how, what are you gonna learn after, you know, a month? Mm -hmm. And, but this is what they're learning. It's about their relationship to the world around them uh, and it, it relies not exclusively, but uh, a lot of it relies on deep intuition. Mm -hmm. So remote viewing is a form of intuition. The healing is a form of intuition. Uh, all the cognition that we're talking about and recall, all of that relies upon forms of intuition. We, we typically think about intuition as just, you know, it's this thing that you have when you have it, which is cool. 
But where our mastery comes from is having deep intuition on demand when we choose at the time of our choosing. And that is one of the, the skills and one of the aspects that we stand to lose if we give our power away to AI, to chips, additives into the blood that take away our ability to emote uh, and to, to access these deep states of intuition. And it's up to us as a society, how much of ourselves do we want to give away? And we need to make that choice now because it's already happening. The technology is already being implemented. Mm. Fascinating. Fascinating discussion. You you absolutely blow me away every time I, I hear you talk. So I you're having a pure human breakthrough. This is coming up in um, uh, 25, 28 August uh, here in um, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, what what other what other things is is that sold out yet or is that still available? Do you know, you know, it's the beautiful Omni Hotel property on oh. the Barrier Islands just outside. Wow. It's not in Jacksonville. It's it's outside. It's a retreat environment for four days. Mm. Uh, it, I, I it's being produced uh, by a, a team based in London. And I, I don't know the details um, as to whether or not it's sold out or not. Uh, I know last I heard they had, I think, five, 511 pre-registered. Pre and I don't know what the capacity was. So, okay. uh, but there are other, other programs. If, if people go to the website, www.gregbraden.com, G-R-E-G-G-B-R-A-D-E-N.com. Um, we've got a group going into Chaco Canyon in uh, this September. We'll be in Peru again next April. Mm. Uh, and the events that I have, domestic and international events, are all listed on there. So thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I don't know about you. This It went by pretty quickly for me. How about you? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I, we, we said, you said in the beginning, you're absolutely true. Uh, yeah, it's uh, fabulous. Uh, you know, I love this. I always have loved this information. I love the science. Uh, you, do, you do science so great. Ah. Uh, if I was a scientist, I would be like you. So <laughs> that's great. Well, I, uh, that means a lot, especially it means a lot today. And, you know, I, we covered a lot of ground, Michael. I know for some people, they're right right on board with everything. For some people, yeah. it's, some mm -hmm. of it's new. Yeah. You get some questions from your community, and uh, we'd like to go over those questions. I would love within the next, uh, before the end of this month, maybe yeah. do a part two and pick up some of those questions and uh, and maybe cover some new ground, take it from there. If, if yeah. that, if that, if you're open to that, I'd, I'd be honest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll hit up my group and go through and we'll see what kind of questions come through. Yeah. That would be very exciting. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Greg. Well, be and, sure uh, and tell that, tell that group how lucky they are to be with you every time you do one of these. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just a humble guy. I'm just, I'm just glad to be here really. And a lot of, I, I never thought I would make it this far. So you know, being in combat all the, all those years. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fascinating and, uh, you know, I, I love this information information you're you're a special you know you're a special human that's come come down i believe to uh, share information with us uh so i'm glad you're here mm -hmm. thanks a lot for what you're doing thank you a lot michael it means a lot and uh, i want to give special thanks to tracy joe working behind the scenes uh, yeah. making all this possible as well love you guys i look forward to our next thank you lots of love thanks a lot thank you so much for listening to unleashing